Well, last week I started the Good News series, which is a three-week series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for the sake of those who weren't able to be here last week, or for those of you who have bad memories, or for those of you who just didn't listen last week, uh, I wanted to give a brief recap of, uh, of what we talked about. Last week we focused on the fact that in order to receive the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to first be willing uh, to face and embrace some bad news. And the bad news that we have to face is that while God loves every single one of us, loves every person on the planet, and while God has a wonderful plan for all of our lives, nevertheless, our sins have separated us from this God who loves us. And our sins have separated us from God's wonderful plan for our lives. And so I shared that the Bible in both the Old and the New Testaments is very clear about articulating that our sins have separated us from God. The, the Bible speaks about this in very unambiguous terms and lets us know that our sins are a big problem and that our sins have placed us in a very precarious position. The Bible clearly articulates over and over and over again that sin separates us from God. It articulates very clearly that every single one of us have sinned. We are sinners, which means, and the Bible articulates this very clearly as well, that left to ourselves, we are all separated from Him. And the bad news doesn't stop there. The Bible goes on and informs us, as we discussed last week, that the wages of sin is death. And if we understand that warning, if we correctly understand that warning, it is absolutely the worst of news. Here's what it means. Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that the wages of sin is to cease to exist. That's what we often think of when we, when we think of the word death. Well, they, they died, they're gone, they, they just aren't, they aren't around anymore. They, they just don't exist anymore. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what it means with this, this warning. It's much worse than that. You see, the biblical understanding of the death that comes from sin is that it is eternal, conscious, separation from God. It's not like being asleep forever. It's, it's not like that. It, it's not being unconscious forever. It is being conscious forever, for eternity, living forever just apart from Christ, just apart from the presence of God, separated from the presence of God. What it actually is, is living forever in conditions that were meant for Satan. In conditions that were never meant for human beings. The total absence of the presence of God. So the bad news that has to be embraced is that sin separates us from God. We have all sinned. We have all earned this kind of death for ourselves, spending forever consciously separated from God. 
And then the other aspect that we have to be reminded of, and the, the Bible is crystal clear about, is that not only are we separated from God, but we are hopelessly separated from God. Left to ourselves, we are hopelessly separated from God. This is the bad news that is intended to lead us on a search to try to find an answer. That's intended to lead us on a search to try to find a solution to our problem. This is the bad news that is intended to lead us to good news. And thankfully, there is good news. Thankfully, there is an answer to our problem. And I am happy that today I get to focus the message on the good news. The good news is that while left to ourselves, we're hopelessly separated from God, we are not left to ourselves. We're not. The good news is that there is an answer to our sin problem, and the good news is that Jesus is the answer to our sin and separation from God problem. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, those hard truths about ourselves that the Bible forces us to confront, they are for our good. The, the, the Bible confronts us with this stuff for our good. Because they are intended to lead us to Jesus, who is the answer to our problem. And this good news is clearly expressed in the Bible. In fact, it is the central message of the entire Bible. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, this good news, this, this message is the central message of the Bible. And the good news is found in many, many places throughout Scripture, a couple of places that we looked at last week I want to revisit. It's found in Romans 3, 23, and 24, which begin with bad news, but end with the good news. For everyone has sinned. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. We've all sinned. But God has freed us from the penalty of sin. He has freed us from death, eternal conscious separation from him. And he has done it through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to our problem. Jesus is the good news. The good news is found in Romans 6.23, which again starts with bad news, but ends with good news. It says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this all tells us is that our actions have earned for us death. And again, not to be overly repetitive, but I, I just want to drive the point home. That means eternal, conscious separation from God. That's what our sins have earned for us. We have earned that. But God gives us eternal life, and He gives it to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this is the good news. 
We don't have to suffer the awful fate that our actions have earned us. And the reason we don't have to suffer that fate is because of Jesus. So again, the answer to our sin and separation from God problem is Jesus. This is good news because it lets us know that salvation does not rest on us. It's not dependent on us. But instead, our reconciliation with God, our salvation, having eternal life instead of eternal separation from God, all of that rests on Jesus. It's all on Jesus to make that happen. We don't have to make that happen, which is great news because we can't make that happen. And we don't have to make that happen because he has already taken care of it. The gospel isn't about what we have to do to be right with God. It is about what Jesus has already done to make us right with God. You don't have to earn your way back into God's good graces. You don't, you don't have to do that. Because Jesus has already done that for you. Jesus is the answer to our problem. And here's an important thing that we have to face, something that the Bible is also crystal clear about. Jesus is the only answer to our sin problem. There's no other answer. There's no other option to get our sin problem taken care of. Jesus is the only answer. Now, in most areas of life, with almost any problem we face, there are often multiple possible answers to our problems. You know, you have something go wrong in your house. One, you know, one technician says, here's how you fix that. Another technician says, here's how you do it. I mean, it just amazes me in life how you can have a problem that you think, well, this has to have, uh, you know, just one solution. And by the time you're done, your head's spinning because there are all these different options of, of how to fix it. And this is true in most areas of life. Let's take just one area of life. If we have financial problems... There might be a variety of answers to our, to our problem. One advisor might look at your financial situation and say, well, you have an income problem. And we all say, amen. <laughs> you have an income problem. You simply need to make more money. Another advisor might look at your situation and say, actually, what you have is a spending problem. If you've got enough income, you're just spending too much money. Another might say, you have a house problem. You have too much house for your income. And so when we have financial problems, there can be a variety of solutions to our problem. For many people, they could probably pick and choose any of the various pieces of advice, and that would very likely fix their problem. A person who truly does have a spending problem, if they increase their income, they might be able to fix their their financial problem without totally addressing their, their spending problem. If a person has income that's too low, like objectively we would say, man, that's just not enough money. But if they budget tight enough and, and pinch those pennies tight enough, they might be able to, to rectify their problem without making more money. Here's the point. 
It's that in finances, as in most areas of life, when we face a problem, there are multiple, at least potentially multiple solutions to our problem. But the Bible is clear. It could not be clearer. When it comes to our sin and separation from God problem, there is one solution. There is only one answer, and Jesus is the only answer. And here are just a few places in the Bible, there there are more, here are a few where the Bible states this very unequivocally. The first one is John 14, 6. These are the words of Jesus himself. Okay, the words of Jesus himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Could that possibly be any clearer? We don't need to go into the Greek to figure out what no one means. No one means no one. Can you affirm that, Stan? Does no one mean no one? Yes, thank you. I got scared there for a minute. He's a scholar, and scholars have a hard time saying yes or no to things. So, so, so I got worried for a second. But yes, even a scholar can say yes. No one means no one. Acts 4.12, the apostle Peter, the first person to proclaim the identity of Jesus. You remember Peter, for all the grief that he uh, takes from Christians, he's the one that first stood up and proclaimed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's the first one to preach a sermon after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the man privileged to, to preach the first sermon of the church era. And here's what Peter says. He had listened to Jesus really well. And so here's what he got up and said. He said, there is salvation in no one else. No one means no one. There is salvation in no one else. And then to drive the point home, he says, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus said it. Peter said it. John said it. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Listen closely. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. John, Peter, Jesus, they all agree. We could could add in Paul. We we, we could add in... uh, Every book of the New Testament, they all, the whole Bible, it all affirms this central message of the Bible. And this is good news. There is no mystery. There's no mystery about how we're reconciled to God. There's no mystery about how we can receive eternal life. We don't have to guess. We, we, we don't have to wonder. God tells us clearly in his word. And this is good news because it's not on us to earn God's approval. Jesus did that for us. It is not on us to dig ourselves out of the the debt hole 
that sin placed us in. We couldn't dig ourselves out anyway. Our debt is too great. We, 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 we can't resolve it. But Jesus has done it for us. And so this is the good news. It's wonderful news. Provided, provided that we are willing to admit the truth about ourselves. And provided that we're willing to recognize Jesus for who he really is. You see, the good news does not help us if we remain determined to fix our own problem. The good news doesn't help us if we're unwilling to admit the truth about ourselves, if we're unwilling to admit that we need help outside of ourselves. The good news doesn't help us if we're determined to earn our own way with God instead of accept Jesus as the answer to our problems. Now, don't misunderstand me. The good news remains the good news, but we cut ourselves off from the good news. You see, the good news is really good, but it is exclusive. It's exclusive. One answer. One answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the only answer. If we can recognize our problem of sin and separation from God, and if we can rightly recognize Jesus as the answer to that problem, then the Bible's central message becomes wonderful news to us. But if we insist on charting our own course, if we insist on finding another way, if we convince ourselves that God is okay with multiple means of addressing our righteousness deficit, if we do that, then we separate ourselves from the only answer to our problem. Jesus is the answer. He's the only answer. And this is fantastic news if we're simply willing to admit what is true about ourselves. And I appeal to all of us here today to give up this notion that you can be good enough to earn your way with God. Give it up. Admit your need of Jesus. Turn to him and receive the grace that he offers you today. It is a freeing feeling to come to the realization that reconciliation with God and eternal life does not rest on your actions or your merit. It is a freeing feeling. To realize that your reconciliation with God and eternal life rests entirely on Jesus and what he's done for you is a freeing feeling. And I want every single one of us here today to experience that freedom. We together should desire that everyone in Pataskala experience that freedom. That everyone everywhere would experience that freedom. So Jesus is the answer to our sin and separation from God problem. He's the only answer. And here's why he's the answer. 
And, and here's how he secured salvation for people separated from God. He did it by doing what God requires that none of us have ever been able to do. He did it by living a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. That's how he did it. Now, I want to draw your attention to the fact that a single sin got Adam and Eve kicked out of paradise and brought death into the world. A single act of disobedience. That's how serious God is about sin. That's what a big deal sin is to God. He is serious about sin. It also lets us know, and other things in Scripture let us know this, but, but just looking at Adam and Eve lets us know that the standard that God requires is moral perfection. To be right with him, that's, that's just what he requires. Adam and Eve did not measure up to the standard. And none of us have measured up to the standard. And that's why we're hopeless before God. And it's like moral perfection isn't something you can get back. Like, <laughs> once you've blown it, you've blown it. You, you, you can't get it back. But here's the thing. Jesus measured up to the standard. Jesus lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. It says, For God made him Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Never sinned. This is why he could be our Savior. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Christ was tempted in every way that all of us are tempted. And yet, he did not sin. Isn't that amazing? You say, well, of course, he was God. Folks, he faced everything we faced as fully a human being. The, the teaching on the person of Christ isn't that he was like half man, half God. That's not what it is. He was fully God and fully man. He, he faced those temptations being fully a human being. And yet he lived in perfect obedience to God. 1 John 3, 5 says, Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. And so it was because he lived a sinless life that Jesus was able to pay the penalty for sins. He was able to die for our sins. He was able to die in our place. Now, if you've read through uh, the Old Testament, you, you, you know that uh, 
the, the Israelites throughout their history practiced animal sacrifice. Uh, they would bring a, a sin offering to the Lord. They would, they would kill a spotless lamb or there were different things that they would uh, bring as sacrifices to the Lord. But all of the animal sacrifices that God's people had made throughout their history had been done to teach them of God's plan for a substitute that would bear the penalty for their sins. That's why when Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized, John saw him and he proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of those spotless lambs, those, those lambs without uh, uh, blemish, without imperfections that had been sacrificed for thousands of years were pointing to the coming of the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. Because he lived a, a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Jesus was able to take our penalty. He was able to die in our place. He was able to die for us. Romans 5, 6 through 11 explains it this way. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for, our, uh, died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. I can say amen to that. Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for an especially good person. Not really. But God showed his great <laughs> love for us by sending Christ to die for our sins while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of the son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God again. Christ died for us. His death, the shedding of his blood, made us right with God. Our friendship with God is restored because of the death of Jesus. This is how Christ secured salvation for people separated from God, by living a sinless life in perfect obedience to God, and then by dying in our place, taking our penalty, dying for us, and by his resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul writes, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Paul wants us to know that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what is most important. This message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we hold as Christians. Romans 4.25 tells us the significance of the resurrection of Christ for our sin problem. Here's what it says. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. The NIV says it this way, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. 
The meaning of the verse is that he was raised to life because of our justification. In other words, he was raised to life because what he did on the cross was successful and we now have justification before God. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that his death fully satisfied the penalty for sin, fully satisfied the debt of the sins of every person who has ever lived or ever will live. Sin's penalty has been paid in full. There is no more penalty for you to pay or for me to pay. And the resurrection of Jesus proves that that's true. It proves that that's true. If the debt wasn't paid, he would have remained dead. But the debt was fully paid so he could rise to life again. Jesus has fully paid your debt with God. He has fully paid my debt with God. We don't have to earn our own way. Which is great news because we can't do it anyway. All we have to do is accept what Jesus has done for us. And here's how we accept what Jesus has done for us. We talked about it last week. By agreeing with God against ourselves and admitting what we might be hesitant to admit, that we are sinners, that we cannot fix our own problem, that we need a Savior. And then when we have admitted that, we go on and we recognize that Jesus is the answer to our problem. We recognize that Jesus is the only answer to our problem. We come to see Jesus. We affirm that Jesus is who he really is, that Jesus is the Savior. Not one of many. He is the Savior. And then once we've done that, we ask him to be our Savior. That's how we do this. That's, that's how you receive eternal life. That's how you become friends with God. That's how you're reconciled to God. Now, we're going to look at that more next week, but I don't want to leave that unsaid today. Jesus is our answer, and you can be saved by simply recognizing him as your answer, receiving the gift that he freely offers to you and the whole world but that he never forces on anyone. It's a gift. You have to receive it. He puts it out there. All you got to do, say yes, take it. You've seen this happen, right? People get offered a gift, they think it's too much, or they think they shouldn't be given that gift. And they're like, no, I can't take that. I'm not going to take that. You have to take the gift. You have to receive it. You have to graciously accept the gift. To be reconciled to God and receive eternal life, a person must believe that Jesus is the only way to God, the only means of salvation. You see, we will never receive Jesus as our Savior until we first recognize him as the Savior. We, we can't ever get to that personal level until we first recognize he, he, he is the option. He is the Savior. And so my question for all of us here today is, do you recognize Jesus as the answer? 
Do you recognize Jesus as the only answer? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? This is what must be believed if we are to place our faith in him and receive the salvation that he offers us. Jesus himself tells us this truth. Listen again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells us this truth, and he also offers us eternal life. Most famous verse in the Bible, spoken by Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What Jesus is saying there is, for God so loved the world that he gave me. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news. There is an answer to your sin problem. There is an answer. Jesus is that answer. He is the only answer. And you can be saved today. If you will recognize him as the answer, if you will believe in him personally, if you will trust in him alone. Why don't you stand?